0: Welcome to the Future of Medicine podcast, where we believe that feeling great and living a long time is possible, and that your healthcare should help you get there. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel. My hope is simple, that this show will help you along your journey to becoming the healthiest, strongest, and most powerful version of you possible. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody, before we jump into this episode, I just want to let you know that this topic has been something that has been on my mind for quite some time and we are fortunate enough to sit down with dr pollard and get some insight into the topic of male fertility what it is how you should think about it if you're curious and the steps you should take to explore what this may mean for you i know you're going to enjoy this episode see you on the inside Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Future of Medicine podcast. I am your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel, and I am joined today by a dear friend of mine. I'm very excited, Dr. Matthew Pollard. Dr. Pollard did his undergrad at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. He then attended medical school at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City. He then completed his urologic residency at UCLA. And after residency, he did a very competitive year-long fellowship in studying male fertility and men's sexual health at Baylor School of Medicine in Houston, Texas. He's an expert in male fertility and works closely with couples throughout Middle Tennessee and beyond. Dr. Pollard, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. Before we jump right in, why don't you give us a few minutes of who Dr. Pollard is, why urology, why men's health, and what kind of led you down this path. And then we can jump into some of the more detailed questions we have about this subject.
1: Absolutely. So I actually initially, both my parents were physicians, and initially I wasn't convinced that I wanted to go into medicine. So when I went to USC, in or University of Southern California, not to be confused with South Carolina, which is uh-huh. very common uh-huh. here in Tennessee.
0: Well, I went to Texas, yeah. UT, the other so UT I know. in Tennessee. Like, no, 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 no.
1: Yeah. it is this one. But I initially was studying theater and acting, and then ended up changing career paths and did a major that focused on, on public health and applied to medical school and was very happy to be in medical school. But once I got to med school, decided I wanted to do something surgical that also included a medical aspect. So I was thinking about um, what field I wanted to go into and found urology. Initially I was working with a reconstructive urologist mm-hmm. and ended up selecting urology as my residency and went to UCLA to complete that program. And while I was there, met my mentor, Dr. Jesse Mills, who's still there, and he is a male fertility, men's sexual health expert. And until I met him, I was sort of struggling to find Mm -hmm. where I fit in within the realm of urology. And I knew I I liked to treat urologic conditions, but I wanted to focus on more of the quality of life and improving the day-to-day life of my patients. There are urologists who do a lot of oncology and do major surgeries, but I felt like my skills were more in the benign urology realm, and once I met him, sort of found the field of male infertility and, like I said, men's sexual health, and really fell in love with the impact that you can have on patients' lives and how you can guide them through this journey to find the right solution for whatever they're coming to see you for. And then I was privileged enough to go to Baylor for fellowship to work with one of the best microsurgeons in the country who taught me everything I know about male infertility and found Nashville, and here I am. It's amazing. Well, we are really, really fortunate to have you. You know, something about your story struck me. I I observe
0: frequently with physicians who have a high amount of self-awareness when they go into medicine. There is this... There are some outliers, unicorns, that kind of always know what they want, and they just, you know, I want to be a general surgeon, work in a small town, and then they go make it happen, or a family doc, and, like, you just go do it. Mm -hmm. But so many, their story is essentially what I ended up doing, it found me. And I had a general idea of what I was looking to do, achieve, feel the actual application of it. I didn't have a name, a face, like a location, Mm -hmm. but I was so clear on what I wanted the experience to feel like that once I found the actual, the details, it was kind of a light bulb moment, like either immediately or near immediately, like this is really, something interesting Mm -hmm. and the deeper you go the more interested you are and then it's like you hit some tipping point and you're like I'm not going back like that this is where I'm going this is what I was meant to do yeah yeah yeah. like very much a calling you know however far you want to go with a calling but it definitely it finds the individual which is really neat so you know I have conversations all the time with um let's call it males and females of reproductive age and in 2021 and beyond those are not our parents definitions of, you know, when everybody's getting married in their late teens and early twenties. And by the time you're in your thirties, you're kind of wrapping things up. And if you have babies in your forties, you're kind of an anomaly and it's unheard of to have them in their Mm fifties. Like I feel like that has shifted by maybe 15 years or maybe even 20 in some cases where some people are busy about their career. Uh, nowadays it takes, in most cases, to professional incomes, to have a quality life that most people are hunting for. Which means, un- unless you find your partner early in the game, it's not uncommon in your late 30s or f- early 40s, mid 40s, to, f- to find that person and be like, oh, well, we'd like to have some children. What does that look like? And so this topic comes up in my world because I take care of a lot of executive, business owner type of folks who have been working on their professional craft at a very, very high level and have punted their personal life and their family life in lots of ways and then come up for air and are really kind of nervous. And there aren't a lot of platforms to have discussions around this topic. So I'm super excited to, to pick your brain. Let's start with w- what is male infertility and how would you coach someone in thinking about fertility issues when
1: you're trying to grow a family? The working definition for infertility. So it depends on the patient's age so definitely what you were talking about sort of our our parents when they started having kids in their 20s at that point if it's been a year and you don't have any conception once the female partner if they were taking oral contraceptive pills or birth control once they get off that and menstrual cycles or periods resume to normal once you've been trying for a year when you're younger that's classified as having a fertility issue However, that does change once we reach our mid-30s. So once you reach your mid-30s, that number goes down to about six to eight months. So if you've been trying consistently with no signs of any issues for either partner and you haven't had a conception or a pregnancy within those six to eight months, that would be the time to start having the conversations of having an evaluation, seeking some help, and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, Especially, and the reason that, that that aid, that that number decreases in the 30s is because at that point, we are working against the clock. So fertility, especially the, on the female side, does decrease with age, and so we don't want to miss any fertility windows. So it's always a good idea to be proactive. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And is that primarily driven by our neurohormonal endocrine system? Just we, we start to lose some of the, the hormonal firepower of our reproductive organs? And-
1: well, for women, so men, we continue to make sperm, our entire lives women are born with the same number of eggs that they're going to have their entire life mm-hmm. once they come out of the womb so th- as they have their cycles every month throughout their life they eventually run out of eggs what we don't want is for a couple to end up in a situation where they've missed that window as they've been trying to have a baby in their 30s what about the 40s how would you coach somebody
0: who is in their early to mid 40s and is approaching this conversation. Mm -hmm. Is there a definition of timeline or do you just coach them generally to just be proactive and like, let's, before you even start, let's just make sure the things are
1: good? Yeah, so if we're talking about a couple in their 40s, I would certainly say be as proactive as possible because Mm -hmm. a matter of months can make a huge difference. I would see a fertility specialist, both on the male and the female side to make sure everything's okay and to make sure there are no issues. Oftentimes, If you don't have a a natural pregnancy within a matter of a few months, then you would wanna consider moving forward with assisted reproductive technology or definitely having a more intensive conversation with the reproductive endocrinologist.
0: It's an accelerated timeline. Absolutely. And so even though men continue to make sperm through our lives, the recommendation in their 40s would still be accelerate that timeline just to make sure because if it happens to be you, which we'll get into kind of the numbers of how this all shakes out, how often it is men. I mean, you would hate to be putting your female counterpart against the clock of her own body when she's viable and and you're an easy fix and just overlooking it. Absolutely. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, that's great. I had a question about what do you consider normal fertility challenges versus abnormal challenges when you look at this time frame of the one year for the 20s and then the six to eight months in the 30s is there something in your mind that you could coach someone to just categorically maybe put things in buckets like these are normal challenges and and these would be big red flag like abnormal challenges that you that may help us get off that one year six to eight month
1: timeline a little faster um so normal i would say normal challenges are definitely, n- don't expect a pregnancy every cycle. Uh-huh. Yes, it can be, You, we all hear our friends who, they're like, oh, one, one try and we got pregnant right, again. Right. And it can be very easy for some couples, but it's not easy for all couples. Mm-hmm. So the thing to keep in mind is that 10 to 15% of all couples in the U.S. do experience fertility issues, and of all couples, so 10 to 15%. That's not insignificant. It's not at all. And a lot of patients don't understand that they are not alone, right. It is very common. And it's okay to feel frustrated and to want to seek help. But the important thing is that if you're feeling that way, make sure you, you do seek help and find somebody in your area or someone you can talk to about an evaluation and whether that's indicated. And like I mentioned, being proactive is very important, especially in fertility.
0: So in a male-female couple situation, if they're beginning to believe that maybe they want to explore – To see if there's some infertility going on, Mm. is it recommended to kind of divide and conquer? Because what you do is so unique with men alone. Mm -hmm. And I also know that prior to you coming to town, I understand that there there wasn't anybody with your particular skill set in town at, at the time of your arrival, which even speaks to the greater disparity of specific male fertility specialty. So maybe there's a textbook answer that you divide and conquer, but maybe practically, depending on the market you live in, you may only have what you have access to. So you just go to the same person or the same clinic?
1: Well, so traditionally within fertility, the gatekeeper for all fertility care has usually been the reproductive endocrinologist or the female fertility specialist. So traditionally what would usually happen is the female partner would go to their OBGYN they would then be referred to a reproductive endocrinologist who's the female fertility specialist, and that office Mm -hmm. would do a semen analysis for the male partner. If there were any low counts or any kind of abnormalities, sometimes they would refer appropriately to a male fertility specialist, but sometimes they would not get referred and they would just recommend, oh, you need to do something like intrauterine insemination or you need to do IVF. But it is very important for those male partners who if they think there may be a problem or they're told there is a problem, they really should see a male fertility specialist to see if there's anything correctable, to see if by adjusting some hormones we can improve counts, mm-hmm. which may open up mm-hmm. other options for them. Mm-hmm. But if they're not evaluated, then they, it's hard to say.
0: Well, that's really enlightening to me. It just shows the ignorance even amongst, and I'm a gatekeeper to your potential patients as a primary care doc, like that a male fertility specialist who's a urologist would be the equivalent on the male side of things as a female OB that does fellowship training in reproductive reproductive endocrine biology. I guess I never made that distinction, Mm -hmm. but it's, you know, looking at women's fertility from the eyes of a female health expert in the OBGYN world, and then looking at the male fertility from a urologic perspective, there's male and female urologic issues, Mm -hmm. but you're really taking, you're anchoring to the male journey on your end. And I can see the subtle but really significant impact that could have if it, the reproductive endocrinologist may, I would imagine there's a huge delta in just experience and exposure and specific knowledge base if it's not just sperm count or something obvious. They're wizards with the female side of the equation. Yeah. So I I think this this really does present a really interesting story for men who are concerned about this or females who are concerned about their male counterpart to hunt. What are the qualifications of a male fertility specialist? How would somebody search and identify in their town or their region for somebody with the proper uh, credentials and training?
1: So male fertility specialists are almost universally urologists who have done a fellowship train who have done a fellowship year or two years studying male infertility and men's sexual health. They are specialists in the field and that's really what they focus on their in their day to day life and that's the the crux of their practice. It can be challenging because there aren't that many of right. them nationally. For many years there were maybe one, two or three good training programs and each of those only trained oh, one wow. to two people per year. And for any fertility issues, oftentimes Those are focused on urban areas because Mm -hmm. there are more patients there. As we talked about, this is not an insignificant issue, but it is easier to build a practice that focuses on fertility in an urban area, despite there being 10 to 15 percent of couples who have problems. But I would say the two best ways to find a male fertility specialist in your area would be either going to the American Society of Reproductive Medicine website. They have a, a provider directory where anybody who's a member of the society, which is almost universally everyone who does infertility, whether it's male or female, Uh they're all listed there because they're all members of the society because they keep us all up to date on what the changes and cutting edge technologies are coming down the pipeline. Or if you can't find anybody there, then if you look for your local urologist office, see if any of them list credentials of a fellowship in male infertility. There are lots of urologists who can do a fertility evaluation, but as far as managing significant male fertility issues certainly a fellowship trained male infertility specialist would be ideal ideal
0: yeah yeah and we'll link
1: to that in the show notes and in in
0: in the the blog post from this episode i have some um some basic questions here about the workup itself so a, a man comes into your clinic for a consultation and maybe walk me through however you want to organize it maybe it's by age range or just in general, this is the way you approach it. How do you approach evaluation to determine if there's a problem
1: or not? So if somebody comes into my office and they're already concerned, I wanna do everything I can to, one, figure out if there is a problem. If there is a problem, figure out what we can do to help, or if there isn't a problem, be able to tell them or reassure them, you know, everything looks fine, as long as things are okay on your partner's side, you can continue to try and we can give you some more time. The evaluation itself always involves a history. So we mm-hmm. take their reproductive history, whether or not they've had pregnancies with previous partners, have they noted any discomfort or swelling in the scrotal area? Do they have kids from, from previous relationships? Has their wife or girlfriend or partner ever been pregnant before? And if they've been what they've been using to try to get pregnant, whether they've been tracking ovulation or using test strips or body temperature monitoring. And also has their partner ever been evaluated? Mm-hmm. Once we go through the history, we talk about lifestyle. So I ask them about smoking, how much alcohol intake, diet, exercise, sleep, stress, all the above, mm. which can play a role in, in affecting male fertility.
0: So th- those aren't urban legend. Th- no. th- those are, th- they all play a role. Absolutely. From,
1: and, and need to be evaluated. Okay. hundred percent. The next thing we do is a physical exam. So I do examine the, I examine the penis, I examine the scrotum and the testicles. One of the most common causes of changes in sperm counts or m- the movement of the sperm or the shape of the sperm can be something called a varicocele, which is mm-hmm. a dilated vein around the testicle. And what that does is it changes the temperature of the testicle, which has to be a very specific temperature to make healthy sperm. In addition, it changes the blood flow away from the testicle, So all the cellular waste that comes from making the millions of sperm that we make every day, this, the byproducts of that process don't move away from the testicle like they should, so they can impact The health of the sperm that you are making so we do the exam Mm -hmm. and make sure everything looks normal no abnormalities and then we discuss doing a semen analysis so the semen analysis is a basically we we collect a sample of semen and the patient has to abstain for at least 48 hours no more than five days to get an optimal Mm -hmm. test we do run them in the office ourselves we have a small device that runs an automated semen analysis and we can give them the results within 30 to 45 minutes if They can't collect that day, they can collect at home and bring it into the office within an hour, and we would have the result within five minutes, if Mm -hmm. that were the case. Mm -hmm. Beyond the semen analysis, we then discuss an evaluation of some basic hormones. So we check testosterone levels, estradiol or estrogen levels, and then some hormones from the brain that control testicular function to make sure all of those are normal. Any abnormalities on that axis can certainly point to some fertility issues. Once we have all that data, we can definitely guide them as far as does everything look okay, should you continue to try, or should your partner be evaluated, or is there an issue or something that's a little out of the range of normal, and we sort of figure out what we can do to potentially help them.
0: What percentage of your workups kind of Mm -hmm. stop there, you kind of uncover
1: the likely culprit, and then you deploy a strategy? it depends where they come how the patient ends up in my office mm. so if it's a patient who he and his partner are trying to have a baby and they haven't conceived in a couple months and he just wants to have a wants to have a checkup oftentimes those evaluations will be completely normal and we basically say try for a few more months if there's no success we'll follow up and we'll see what our next steps are to help you and your partner achieve the the pregnancy that you're looking for if they're referred from a reproductive endocrinologist mm. almost always there is an issue
0: that's interesting yeah and again history taking matters right right it's so critical we yeah. as medical students we learn the importance of it but unfortunately as we go through a lot of our training we very quickly realize that there's a lot of pressure to move volume and move mm-hmm. quickly and we're Instinctively, we start adopting short, and I'm incredibly sympathetic to my friends who practice in an environment where they have to see an absurd amount of people. Because the obvious place to cut is the history. And sometimes it's just that subtle point. Like, oh yeah, no, six months ago, we did go to a a reproductive person, and like we went through the whole deal. Mm -hmm. Whereas that didn't come out until minute nine. You know, and, and guys are notorious for like, anyway, you know, I just want to like, they're not great historians, mm-hmm. generally speaking, you kind of have to pry it out of them because for the masculine experience, this can be embarrassing, mm-hmm. a lot of shame and like my manliness. And so they're already a little reserved and guarded, like yeah. they don't want something to be wrong. So the power of a good history is like, it it, it it's, it's very refreshing to hear that that you're able to really focus as the first thing because from the beginning it sets the tone of a likely outcome and a plan with high predictive values there
1: but what you what you mentioned with the anxiety and the frustration and the Mm -hmm. the shame associated with male infertility that's i talk to all of my patients about that because they all whether they say it or not they're all feeling it's there and it's such a deep Difficult feeling to it's deal primal. with. It's primal. It's, yeah. it's
0: very, very, very procreate. Mm-hmm. It's like breathing. Yep. And no one wants to feel like a basic function isn't working.
1: I imagine
0: for a lot of these folks, you end up doing a lot of reassurance and a lot of coaching because of the mm-hmm. consequences of angst, which then lead to in under stress. People act out of character. Right. So maybe they're drinking a little too much. They're not sleeping and then they're not sleeping and drinking too much. So their quality of sleep is worse, which has... L- They have less recovery skills the next day. And it very much snowballs into a cycle of not ideal behaviors for an environment conducive to fertility. And so having regular touch points and coaching, I'm sure is ends up being a significant part of what you do. Um, Stress reduction and kind of keeping their eyes on like, you're not alone, 15% of people. That's really a staggering statistic in my world. That's more
1: than I thought and also working as a team so the male partner and the female partner supporting each other and being there for each other while they're working on whether it's behavioral changes or giving it time or whatever treatments they're going through just being there for each other and not Mm -hmm. not, and i
0: suppose it's a bilateral kind of for the male and the female to verify that at first pass everything appears to be okay there's no big like dumpster fire of problems Mm -hmm keep trying. Like it's almost a gift that f- from someone like you with your training to say, Hey, here are the areas where we normally see problems. Great news. I don't see anything jumping out at it. Try to focus on your sleep, pull back your alcohol, really focus. Maybe you guys need a 10 day vacation where you can just connect and and really decompress, which would foster all of the thing, better sleep, maybe not <laughs> decreased alcohol, <laughs> but certainly overall baseline stress reduction and overall baseline sleep quality indices increasing and connectivity that is so important in any relationship is feeling connected to your person and this can be a real dividing it could be a real tension creator especially in some of these 40 year old you know like the clock is ticking people are feeling the pressure it's not a
1: pleasant experience as a couple to walk through by any means and it can be especially with some of the behavioral changes that I always talk to my patients about, it can be, a, if you don't have the conversation and discuss really supporting each other, it can be a blaming point for the couple. So if we talk about either weight loss or exercise or decreasing alcohol intake, sometimes couples come mm-hmm. back and I'll hear, well, or he won't, he, or yeah. he had a drink today mm-hmm. or didn't go to the gym the other day. And I I have to stop and just say, we still have to live our lives we have to be supportive of each other. This is a journey as a couple. We can't play that game. That doesn't help anyone. Yeah. It doesn't help, no. So
0: then moving on to the folks where, you know, the coaching through the reassurance, you know, six, eight, 12 months down the road, we're still having issues and there aren't any obvious hormonal issues at that point. Assuming that the female partner is going through her paces as well, or already has, is there another layer of deeper dive that you do, or is, is there no
1: answer other than get in the game and keep going or pivoting to some other? So it depends. So if the couple has had multiple pregnancies and uh, may have had a, several miscarriages, there are some additional sperm testing we can do, looking at the DNA health of the sperm and mm-hmm. also looking at something called reactive oxygen species, which can damage the health of the sperm. Mm-hmm. If everything on the the initial evaluation was completely normal, oftentimes we'll repeat a semen analysis to make sure that the first value was truly mm-hmm. indicative of, or representative of, of what they're producing. If on the male partner side, everything is totally normal and hormones are good and there's nothing on exam, oftentimes we'll then start talking about, should we plan on going through a couple rounds of intrauterine insemination uh-huh. with their partner with the assistance of our reproductive endocrinology colleagues sure. and seeing if that's that's the right next step for them. And
0: I suppose at this point, too, you're probably already in conversation or jointly consulting on this as a family unit, yeah. right, with your REI, your reproductive um, yeah. people. So. These are some common questions I get. If we get to the extent that we have the ability to evaluate the male fertility status, is freezing sperm an actual viable option for some men in this situation? And if so, how does that work?
1: Freezing sperm is definitely a viable option for men who are interested in doing it. There is some evidence that once we reach our late 40s, early 50s, there can be an increase in some Either behavioral issues or some autism spectrum disorders in children with who older have sperm. with older sperm. Yeah, in children who have male parents who are or I fathers have, who I've are read a some little of older. That briefly, not, yeah, not
0: done a deep dive, but I,
1: yeah, there's some evidence on it. It's some more recent data because, as we talked well, it's about, a newer phenomena, right? It's a newer yeah. phenomenon, and families are changing, and yeah, so in in men who may be considering having kids at a later age, definitely it's a viable option. The thing to keep in mind with frozen sperm is that usually it has to be used for IVF. So right, right. It, it does change the way that we would move forward with family planning and achieving that pregnancy, but it definitely is a it's a great option.
0: Would you recommend somebody who's 40 single and really Nobody on the horizon to have a family with, but definitely something they want to do, and knowing that there's a high likelihood of IVF in their future, they wanted to freeze. do they go through a male fertility specialist to help identify that location? Because I feel like getting on Google and just finding a place may not be the best option. Yeah, or maybe I'm wrong with that, but I don't no,
1: know. I would definitely recommend that they see let's a fertility prove you're viable. Specialist. exactly.
0: before we go freezing and all of the economics and the effort to freeze, we can trust, but we verify right. that what we're freezing is viable, that is high quality. And I think I would want someone like you to help me, especially if I was going to go through the effort, because from what I understand, it's not inexpensive. No. Um, and it
1: you have, you have to pay a yearly storage fee. And, right. And depending on where you are, you may have banks that are local or some of the local reproductive endocrinology centers do offer storage and freezing there, or they collaborate with larger sperm banks nationally. Depends on your location, but definitely I would say talk to a specialist, seek somebody who can help guide you through that decision and that process. It's, I think it's the best way to go forward with that. Great. Couple more questions.
0: For young men who have had testicular trauma, is there any actual evidence that they're at an increased risk for fertility issues
1: or not? Yes. So depending on what the trauma is, certainly blunt trauma, which can damage blood vessels to the testicle or Mm -hmm. can damage the vas deferens, which is the tube that carries sperm Mm -hmm. away from the testicle. That kind of trauma can certainly impact fertility, whether it's on the obstructive side where it's blocking sperm from getting out of the body Mm -hmm. or the production side where there may be decreased blood flow to one of the testicles. If they have if a patient comes in and they had a history of a testicular torsion right. or something as a child where basically the testicle twists on its blood supply and loses blood supply for a period, they end up having it corrected, or maybe they didn't, they or, lose a testicle. or they lose a testicle. We do have evidence that when something happens to one side of the testicle as a child, it can impact the healthy testicle as well. So those patients are definitely at a higher risk of, of fertility issues once they reach childbearing age.
0: And so somebody with that history, because I have a number of men who, for for various reasons, had to have a testicle removed. Mm-hmm. That's a question they have. And I wonder, does that, there may not be a perfect science on this, but maybe just a, a quicker trigger finger to accelerate that timeline of fertility, regardless of the age range, mm-hmm. just because th- there is evidence that it could be, you're not dealing with an average deck of cards, let's just say. Right. Uh,
1: and the physical exam is definitely an important aspect of that. Oh my gosh, So yes. checking to make sure. The whole anatomy yeah. has changed. Yeah. And, and so that the other te- testicle oftentimes increases in size to make mm-hmm. up for the work that the lost testicle was doing. So you want to make sure that there's ha- there's been cons- compensatory increase in testicular right. size, that nothing feels swollen or or larger than it should be in terms of the epididymis where the sperm is stored, mm-hmm. which can sometimes be a marker of an obstruction, which could happen. I yeah, think I from a
0: peace of mind standpoint, too. I mean, I, again, knowing the role of stress and behaviors on mm-hmm. fertility, yeah. if you've had such a significant trauma t- to your body, it, it, there's no way a man is going to navigate that and it not be a something he has to grieve and get his head mm-hmm. around. I think an early evaluation actually might head off at the pass, any unwarranted stress. Absolutely. So I would be inclined as a patient, if they had family planning questions and, and say he had a torsion at nine years old and lost a testicle, I would immediately
1: just, let's just do it. hundred percent. And then when they do find the partner who they want to start family correct. planning with, then they already know, you know. This I've already been evaluated. Yeah. I know my anatomy is a little
0: different, mm-hmm. but like I work. Exactly. I just think, you just, you're just you set up for such a higher level of success at expanding your family. Yeah. What about vasectomies and not so much getting them? I think that that's pretty straightforward, but I do have from time to time people who ask me about reversal mm-hmm. of vasectomies. And how would you answer the question, what does is, what is a vasectomy reversal look like? Is it a viable option back to fertility?
1: So certainly for the right patient of vasectomy reversal is a good option, especially if they're interested in having children and trying to have children naturally, it is a great option. The two ways that you can have kids after a vasectomy would be the reversal, or we can always do a testicular sperm retrieval, which is a small procedure where we basically remove some of the testicular tissue where the sperm is made, have it processed, identify the sperm inside, freeze it, and then you can use that for IVF. So the two options are either reversal or retrieval. For a reversal, a vasectomy is obviously a very quick procedure that's done all over the country, all over the world. And it's very straightforward and relatively easy. A reversal is something that needs to be done by a specialized microsurgeon and takes much longer and requires general anesthesia. So when you think about the vas deferens, it's basically like a piece of spaghetti. When you're doing a reversal, the lumen or the hole inside of that inside of that piece of spaghetti where the sperm travels through is probably about the size of the inner twenty percent of a piece of spaghetti. So if you imagine you're doing a reversal, you're sewing together the inside twenty percent of one piece of spaghetti. So it's very it's very fine surgery that requires a specialist. And usually those specialists are the same male infertility specialists Mm -hmm. you would be seeing. We are microscopically trained surgeons and we spend a lot of time under the microscope during our fellowships. So we do Perform quite a few vasectomy reversals during that extra year of training, and continue to do mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, in our practices. practices. As far as what the reversal looks like and what that means as far as family planning, the one of the big one of the big factors as to who I will offer a reversal to actually relies on the the man's partner. So, if the couple looks like they're probably going to have to go f- forward with IVF either because of age or egg status or any number of reasons, then I would push them toward a retrieval option because it is quicker, it's less invasive, and we're still able to get plenty of sperm that can be used for any number of IVF cycles. Now, if the couple is young, it's been not too long since the vasectomy, 10 years is kind of the cutoff where Mm -hmm. outcomes start to decrease, Mm -hmm. then they're a great candidate for reversal. That's
0: an incredible distinction I didn't even think of, but I think it's really critical Mm -hmm. uh, for those that maybe got one really young and- Oops, maybe we jumped the gun on that. Yeah. Cuz we had a couple children too early. We wanted to make sure we didn't have a couple a, any more oopses mm-hmm. and, and now 10 years later we're in a totally different situation yeah. and we're now grieving that understanding if if you're young in a stable relationship and it, like that this is a real option. Right. That's wonderful. As far
1: as outcomes go, so for for men who go through a vasectomy reversal, and it's performed where we, we're able to sew the tubes back together and everything is patent, you're looking at a 90 to 95% success rate wow. in getting sperm back in the ejaculate. The thing I that I- had no idea it was yeah, that high. It actually is very successful. But the caveat is success, it depends how we define success. So if we talk about getting sperm back in the ejaculate, yes, 90 to 95%, but that doesn't mean that the concentration of sperm is as high as it was before. Mm-hmm. So. That 90 to 95% success rate of sperm in the ejaculate translates to, to around a 75% natural pregnancy rate, which is still high. Still pretty good. But the thing that I tell all my patients is, even if we do a perfect vasectomy reversal, one in four still has to use assistive reproductive technology yep. for their next pregnancy. And at the end of the day, each individual is going to make their decision based on the upside
0: versus the right. downside. And I think most free-thinking, intelligent people are capable of making that decision if they have the right data in front of them and the right person coaching them and walking them through the data. And that's, again, one more reason why someone who only does this like yourself is such a valuable asset when these are major decisions, right? We're talking about expanding families and to create another human life or not. I mean, these are major, major, major decisions that need to be thoughtful. What didn't I ask you that I should have?
1: Probably one of the most common reasons men see me is they're trying to have a child, but they've been on testosterone replacement therapy. And so the impact of testosterone replacement therapy on male fertility is significant. A lot of guys will see their primary care doctor and they'll say, I think I have low testosterone. And then they do find out that yes, they do have low testosterone. They're put on testosterone replacement therapy. However, that does shut off the hormones we talked about earlier that come from the brain to control testicular function it turns off production of those hormones almost completely. So while you're on testosterone replacement therapy, many men are not making any sperm. And sometimes if they don't see the correct person while they're on therapy, they might be told they're infertile or may not be able to have children, which oftentimes is not actually the case. If they were to see a specialist either in testosterone replacement therapy or hormonal optimization or a male fertility specialist or urologist, they can oftentimes guide them through what I call a testicular reboot, where we're able to recover sperm production in the testicle, if not back to the the normal range where they were before, definitely to a range where pregnancies are an option and childbearing can proceed.
0: No, that's really great. I do a a fair amount of hormone optimization in my men, and this is a real pump the brakes conversation with my younger men who are anything but I'm 100% done expanding my family. Right. You know, like I'm good to go and understand the consequences and the, the risks involved. For the ones that are like, yeah, I'm not certain, or I am certain I want to expand my family, but I'm also like, I can't peel myself off the ground because right. I'm so symptomatic. We take a different approach. Mm-hmm. You know, the strategy I would deploy on a 32 year old, but I still want to expand my family, but is, you know, in the lowest quartile of like normal or even abnormally low we would choose a different altitude yeah you know and and we might even hedge because of that hormonal phenomena really let's as much as we can try to stimulate and preserve any native production not for the testosterone piece but just for the testicular kind of stimulus Mm -hmm. to continue to not slam on the brakes maybe a dimmer
1: switch because you want you want we want to help our patients feel better and we Correct. want them to be able to live their lives. But um, it's a very comprehensive approach because we're right. managing two things that
0: at levels of therapy could be in conflict with. And so I think there's a very elegant way to approach it. Yeah. There case is a by balance. case,
1: there yeah. really is a balance. But there are lots of options. I mean, yes, and that's why I think anybody who's looking for hormone op- hormonal optimization or treatment or evaluation. Be with someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah, please. Yes. Because and if you happen to be tangled up with somebody who
0: isn't really an expert in it mm-hmm. and you want to expand your family, find someone who understands male fertility and right. who can help balance some of those levels in a way that fits what you're trying to achieve. What is the one or two questions you wish everybody would ask you as from a patient standpoint? Or maybe what are the one or two things you wish everybody knew going into this topic of male fertility?
1: I think a lot of the delays in being evaluated for fertility issues lies in, in couples not understanding that they're not alone. These conversations always start with me with telling patients, this is not unusual, you are not abnormal, this is a medical problem. One in 10 or 10 to 15% of, of couples do have problems and we just wanna figure out what that is so we can help you continue to grow your family and live your happy life together. The other thing is letting my male patients understand that it is not uncommon for there to be a male factor to fertility issues. I think it's very common for couples to accept, oh, there's a female fertility problem. But sure. the male side of it does come with a lot of shame, a lot of feeling of I'm failing as a man. But in actuality, it's about 40% female only, 30% male only, and then the the remaining 30% is male and female. So oh, wow. a huge proportion of these patients do have a male factor to fertility issues and it's very common.
0: Can you say those percentages again? Those yeah. are valuable. So
1: it's about 40% is just female, uh-huh. 30% is just male and then the remaining 30% is both. So oftentimes it's both partners and uh-huh. it re- requires work on both partners health and it's a collaborative effort. It's a collaborative effort, yeah.
0: Yeah, that is a fascinating stat line, I think, really be useful. We could create something with those percentages, because I think that really tells a story. Yeah. So your practice is in downtown Nashville, right? Yes. Do you see patients outside of the local area? Absolutely. If somebody destination, some of my listeners, destinational medicine is not uncommon. So if Mm -hmm. they're listening from Seattle or D.C. and they wanted to come to Nashville, is that something that
1: you're capable of taking care of? Okay. And we do... We certainly use telemedicine as well. Right. And some of the
0: initial consults yeah. could be, does, doesn't require a trip to Nashville, although right. it's a fun city to, to visit. It definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> you might want to take a trip for your first consultation. Where do people find out more about you, what you're up to, some of
1: the services, maybe some content that you create mm-hmm. that would be around this topic? Where do they find you? So... I created a brand for men's health here in Nashville called Nashville Men's Health. Uh, they can find more information about us at NashvilleMensHealth.com. We're also on Instagram with the handle Nashville Men's Health. I can also be contacted via email. So patients can email me at Matthew Pollard, md at gmail.com. And if you are looking for kind of general information about infertility, whether it's male or female, the website that I always recommend is ReproductiveFacts.org. And that website has... A lot of information for patients. It has the provider directory that I was talking about great. from the That'd be a great resource. from ASRM. So there's lots of information on the internet about infertility, but just make sure you're using a reputable source. Oh my gosh!
0: Yeah, no, you. Yeah. Plenty of information. Uh, we're lacking wisdom, and right. Insight, and and so that's a good way to put it. We're drowning in information. I know. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I think most people just want to cut through the noise. It's very difficult to establish trust. In a digital world. But yeah, we'll link to that website. Man, this has been great. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy. And for you to carve out so much time just to to share your insight on this topic, it doesn't go unnoticed. And I'm very, very grateful.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was such a pleasure. It really was.
0: I want to thank you so much for your attention. Listen, I don't take it for granted. It means the absolute world to me. You can find out more about today's episode at brentwoodmd.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the show notes, all the related links to this episode and tons of other resources. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And if you've already subscribed, then it would mean so much to me if you left a review. If you think would be a good fit to work together, or you would just simply like to know more about the concierge services that I provide my private clients, email us at membership at brentwoodmd.com. And now for the obligatory disclaimer, this podcast is for general information only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or the giving of medical advice as no doctor patient relationship has been formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should seek the advice of their own medical professional providers.